You are listening to the Whitman Wire podcast, a weekly companion to the Whitman Wire newspaper. This week, I sat down with the band you hear playing. And while I could introduce the group myself, I'll let them do it in the preferred form of song. I play guitar and I sing. Joe. I'm Maya and I play bass. Well, we're a big Joe. We play bluegrass. We play a lot of bluegrass. I play bluegrass. Where's bluegrass? It plays bluegrass. Fire. I'm Tessa. Uh, this whole thing was my dumb idea, and I play the fiddle. My name is Aiden, and I primarily play the mandolin. I think I want to start with asking you guys, because I was trying to think of my own definition and I was like, I can't formulate that. What is bluegrass? Bluegrass is a style of music that uh, evolved in the 1940s um, out of older styles of Appalachian folk music. Um, what that which we now call old time music, um, which is its own. It's got a very long history, but basically, bluegrass is a is a style of of uh, acoustic folk music. It's upbeat, unless I mean there are some songs that are slow, but generally it's upbeat. It has a sort of specific instrumentation: uh, banjo, fiddle, guitar, bass, mandolin. Nothing is uh, amplified. People say that it was invented by a man named Bill Monroe. Um, who had a band called Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, which is where the name comes from. The story is a little more complicated than that, but he is known as the father of bluegrass. And when did you guys individually start playing music? And was the music you were playing when you were younger bluegrass? And what was the transition to bluegrass, um, if that was the case? Well, I started playing guitar uh, around about the time of COVID. Um, and I always really liked folk music, and it wasn't really until I met Tessa that I learned about bluegrass. And Tessa got me all bluegrassy. I started playing bass in sixth grade, and I started in actually not even like an orchestra. I was in the wind ensemble playing a string instrument, and then I I think in like seventh grade-ish, I was uh, getting into jazz more so. And I didn't really listen to bluegrass, didn't play it until I got here. I met Tessa. Somehow it came up. I think we were in the Reed basement, and I was like, I play bass. Don't know why. So <laughs> we were at a karaoke night, and they were doing a song, and I, I was sitting next to Maya and some of her friends, and I heard her say, ooh, this song has a cool bass line. I didn't know Maya at all, and I said, do you play bass? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you want to be in my bluegrass band? <laughs> I was like, I just like, I didn't really know anything about it. And Tess was like, oh, it's pretty easy. You just play the one of the five. And I was like, sure, I'll give it a try. <laughs> and now I... I can't say I'm an avid bluegrass listener, but I do listen to more, <laughs> and obviously I'm playing here. I've been playing different forms of music since grade school. I played the piano, the violin, the viola. I even played the flute, which I can't say I really enjoyed. I got into the guitar in high school and sort of dedicated myself to really practicing and getting to know the instrument. Um, that's also when I first picked up the mandolin very recreationally and have been playing a lot more now with Big Joe. I 
started playing the fiddle when I was four. Uh, I went to my first bluegrass festival when I was one. I started playing the fiddle so early because I had two older brothers and we were in a family band. Um, and my dad was looking at his his youngest kid and he was like, that's gonna be our fiddler one day. <laughs> and then I was. Um, so bluegrass has been my whole life, my whole life. Um, I've, been, I've played it forever, I've been teaching it, I've like been in bands, I've gone to festivals. Um, and I knew that, that when I came to Whitman that I would, that one of my priorities in getting to college was finding people to play with. And I was so happy to meet these guys like all pretty much the first week of school and force them all into a band. Yeah, can we expand upon that story? How did Big Joe come to fruition? And, and what was the process? I can start like? the story, but yeah. I'm gonna need help. You were the, you were the first one that um, I met. So Tessa and I had talked for a little bit before we came to Whitman, and we had both kind of expressed, oh, you know, we both play instruments. And I think it was the first evening that we got here. I brought, well, I didn't have my guitar with me, so I used Tessa's guitar, and we, uh, we played together for the first time, and I hadn't really played with anybody before. I'd always just kind of played by myself, so it was a really new thing for me. But then I was like, oh, there's a song I really like. It's called I've Endured by Ola Bell Reed, which is a classic old-time tune. Um, and Tessa was like, oh, my God, I know that song also. So we decided to sing it together, and it was kind of like all the pieces just kind of clicked into place. And we were like, oh. <laughs> we were both kind of surprised, I think, by how well it worked out. Um, and then things just kind of went on from there. Yeah, so I met, I met Gwen... Um, I, I knew before I met you that you were going to be in a band with me. I was not really surprised. Um, but, uh, and then I, like, at some, like, majors fair or something, I was walking past the music table, uh, and I heard Doug Scarborough talking to this kid and talking about music or something, and I heard him say, yeah, I also play a little mandolin, and I said, I'm going to wait behind this kid until he turns around and then talk to him. Um, and then he did, and he said, I heard you play mandolin. I play the fiddle. Like, are you into bluegrass? Let's talk about it. Um, and then I think I brought both of them, I brought Gwen and Aiden to, um, there's a weekly jam that happens in, in this area on Friday nights, um, a bluegrass jam that's mostly older folks, um, and I brought these two to it so that they could sort of play with other people and, and you know, meet the bluegrass people in, in town and that we could play together a little bit. And then we did a, we did a little stuff, the three of us, and then I met Maya a couple weeks later. Um, and we just started, you know, playing, I don't know that you would call them gigs, we weren't getting paid or anything, it was mostly just like hanging around town, playing music together wherever we could. Yeah, we played our first show in Waitsburg, where we had known each other for about two weeks, and it was my first time performing, and it was on this little, like, trailer bed yeah. in front of this, like, house museum, it was and there was, songs. like, one condenser mic, and we just kind of got up there. Was and this like an event or was this? Yeah, it yeah. was. It was the Pioneer Fall Festival, which yeah. we're we're playing again this yeah. year. Um, and how do you find out? Just research, and then you just ask, "Can I play?" And then you're in. Or our no, our friend uh, Kate Hawkersmith, who who runs the jams. She, I mean, if you're a young person playing bluegrass, people want you to play places because bluegrass is sort of known as this music for old people it's boring it's like it's old it's like for hicks whatever so you know whenever people see young people playing bluegrass they get really excited about it and so bluegrass is just a fun music to have at events can i ask about the the name big joe where did that come from yeah um 
So we, at one of the, the first events that we played, it was the three of us um, at, what's the name of that house? The Kirkman House Museum. The Kirkman House Museum. Yeah. They had some Here event that, that we were playing, and a friend of ours, a, a, a bluegrass friend, um, who has played with us a lot, he took a picture of the three of us playing, and he posted it on Facebook, and he said, so great playing with these wonderful Whitman College students, Gwen, Tessa, and Joe. and I said it's so great to, to see you Gwen and Aiden and I had a great time and you know I mean easy mistake to make I like he didn't really know Aiden at all he's he's, he's a wonderful guy and we love him um, but we just thought it was really funny and we started calling him Big Joe he's got a big cool hat that he wears a lot uh, he, he has this sort of persona that he puts on so <laughs> they, you know it's a very big persona Aiden. the yeehaw yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you give us a yeehaw <laughs> That's Big Joe. That's Big Joe. That's Big Joe right there. This is it. This is the sound of the Reed Ballroom when Walla Walla community members join Whitman students to contradance together. The musical accompaniment to this dancing is none other than Big Joe. We played... We played a lot of them last year. There was a band that played before us, but then we kind of took that over. Um, and I would say starting probably from second semester last year. Um, and now we have the the name of the club that I am forgetting. Tessa, the, the Folk Music and Dance Club? <laughs> yes. So now we do the contra dances through that, and we also are thinking of workshops and jams and things of that sort. Are there other things that you do on campus um, of the sort, or do you play? Um, We've played a couple of gigs. We played um, Bolton Bash, which was a big like student event for the presidential installation last year. That was really fun. I got to write a fiddle tune and name it after Sarah Bolton, and she listened to it. And she was like, "I loved your tune," and I was like, "Thanks." Um, so we're we have you know we're gonna like play at family weekend and stuff. We're just sort of a, a college band. Um, we also last year. Uh, when I when I lived in Anderson, we hosted a lot of bluegrass jams in in the Anderson Hearth, um, which were really really fun. We had like you know eleven or twelve people in the jam circle, and then like thirty or forty people sitting around eating food, listening to the music. It was so much fun. Um, it was such such a wonderful way to to share music with other people and to to introduce bluegrass to other people. So we're hoping to do Thank more. Thank you. Well, howdy there. We're Big Joe. We're so happy to be here at the Tumbling Music Festival. This is our very first time here. And we're just having so much fun. There's so many great bands. There's five stages, which is amazing. This past Labor Day weekend, we Big Joe played at the Tumbleweed Festival in Richland, Washington. I'll let David Carson, the festival's past director, explain what that is. I am David Carson, and this year I have acted as the applications coordinator for Tumbleweed, but also more as a jack-of-all-trades because I... I was coordinator of the of the festival, the live one in 2019, then through the two virtual ones, and then coming back into the live ones through 2022, and I was done. Okay. Yep. I want to start by just asking you how you would describe the festival. How would you describe Tumbleweed? What are the different components of it? Well, Tumbleweed is a uh, mostly free music festival it's held in howard amon park 
in Richland, right along the banks of the river. And we don't shut down the park for our festival. Everybody who comes and does what they want gets to have the festival too. It's a, a festival that we try to keep very family friendly. And we try to keep a very family feeling. A lot of our performers who perform all over the country and go to a lot of festivals, many of them say that Tumbleweed feels like a family reunion, and that's exactly what we want to do. We have a, a variety of music. We've been working to increase the, the diversity of our performers and types of music. It's an acoustic festival, and so that means no real big bands usually, but that's been changing. We have, in a typical festival like this year, we have five outdoor stages and two indoor stages. We have two workshop rooms from 11 to around 6.30 on Saturday and Sunday of Labor Day weekend. Every 45 minutes, there's a new performance on every stage and each workshop room. We have... Uh, singer-songwriter, we have acoustic, blues, jazz, folk, we have bluegrass. Um, there was a an organization called Sunfest that was founded here, and they put on a series of summertime events in the park, not really a music festival. They had a whole bunch of things. In 1987, they produced a, something called the Downriver Bluegrass Festival. And that was really the start of it because after the Downriver Bluegrass Festival ended in 87, then the Three Rivers Folklife Society came together and started putting on concerts and dan contra dances here in the Tri-Cities area. And then in 1990, they attained a nonprofit status. And then in 1997, they needed to sort of get everything together and do one big thing. And that's how the Tumbleweed Festival began. And we've managed to keep it going for 27 times now. 27 years and we have gradually been increasing the variety of of music although for a while in the in the 2010s um, we got a little less diverse we had lost a lot of that diversity we we no longer had any hispanic groups except uh, occasionally, we could get one of the, the folkloric dance companies to come and give uh, presentations and workshops. But we used, you know, we used to have gospel, and we had ranchera, and we had all kinds of things. And then it got down to a little more sort of old-fashioned folk. And when I came in, I really pushed to try and increase the diversity. So we have a a, a wider range of types of music now and types of people making it it's 
the the audiences, a lot of white heads. But this year, there were more younger people and there were more younger people performing as well. Right. So it's an increasingly diverse festival, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you a little more about the New Horizons concert, where you're featuring younger performers like Big Joe, our bluegrass band. Is, is this why you chose to implement this new part of the program to diversify? And do you think it's worked in diversifying the audiences? How have you seen the demographics of the people at Tumbleweed shift over time? Well, the New Horizons concert used to be more focused on like school kid age mm. performers, uh, really letting them have their first time performing in front of an audience or whatever. Uh, a lot of grandchildren of people on the committee, things like that. And there just aren't as many of those around as there were. So we have worked both with people in the local entertainment booking industry and also by ourselves this year, picking younger performers and what we euphemistically call higher energy music for the, the New Horizons concert. And Big Joe, that since they sent their application in out of the blue, we just applied. It's a it's a application that you fill out, and uh, they showed up and they really just blew the place away. Everybody really loved them, and Big Joe seemed to love everyone back. How was your experience there? Yeah, it was a joy to see all different types of music. There was bluegrass represented, but also some like acoustic renditions of like more rock and pop focused tunes. There was a great open mic event with some like French music even. Um, super into it. It was awesome to like, you know, you look out into the crowd and like see people dancing and stuff like that. And you can bring a smile to people's faces and just talking to other people in bluegrass bands afterwards who would come up to us and be like, oh, like, I'm so glad that you guys played Nellie Kane. Like, no one ever plays Nellie Kane. And like, <laughs> you know, having those kind of like nerdy bluegrass interactions with people, it was a great, a great weekend. I want to talk more about what you said earlier about this, like, this perceived demographic of old, like, white people. Um, <laughs> is that who you do find enjoying your music the most? And... What do you make of that? Do you see the future of, of bluegrass being that same kind of group of enjoyers in the same way? Uh, yeah. Thoughts? So, like, it's definitely, like, the people who are, like, predominantly coming to these events are definitely, like, these people, older white people. But, like, also, like, when there are some younger people, uh, a more diverse audience, I always find that they're also, they realize, like, wow, I had, like, no idea what this was. And you guys were, like this is great. I'm like, a, I'm a fan now of the genre. And um, yeah, I think it could definitely expand into like being much more than just like that uh, stereotype. Yeah, it's a it's a thing of bluegrass is is one of the few genres where almost all of the fans are also musicians themselves. And so, you know, if you exclude people from your stages and from your workshops and from your like musical opportunities you're also going to exclude them from listening to the music because those you're pulling from the same people we were backstage and we were talking to one of the MCs and she said you guys play bluegrass traditional bluegrass and we said you know traditional but we break some of the rules and she said well you're already breaking one rule too many women 
And I was like, true. <laughs> David also notes Big Joe's ability to use and expand upon traditional bluegrass to make a sound unique to them. They're so polished and so aware of the bluegrass tradition and they know just exactly how to stretch it here and there. We can get more diverse influences in. And Big Joe was perfect for that because the in the audience was apparently a lot of their classmates and friends coming in but they just really rock the place down. So that's the, the Friday night concert is sort of merging, turning into our means of increasing the diversity of our performers and the types of music. Mm -hmm. And what effect do you think the Tumbleweed ha Festival has in the area for community building outside of maybe it just being a space for, for recreational music well like i said we we try to make it like a family so this was i think the 20th year that i have come in and cooked breakfast on sunday morning because unlike many festivals we actually feed our performers and our volunteers it's it's not just a box of crackers and a lukewarm bottle of water we always refer to the Tumbleweed family, um, if you have performed or even if you've just come to Tumbleweed, you're part of the Tumbleweed family. And that feeling extends out throughout the whole year as Three Rivers Folklife Society, we put on concerts. Many times people come to Tumbleweed for the first time to perform, and then they'll come back sometime in the next year. So Tumbleweed is like the big thing, but it does echo through the year and more people have heard of Tumbleweed probably than of Three Rivers Folklife itself. So we're always promoting one with the other. And what that does is creates the community of people who follow live music and the more live music there is in a community of whatever kind the better because it, it music is such a focus for people to to really express themselves through or have expressed for them the things they can't necessarily verbalize themselves so the more music there is of kinds that you like and kinds that you discover, uh, the more the more you feel a part of the community like that. Diversifying bluegrass, a genre that historically excluded those who aren't older white men, is a project that both David and Big Joe members have taken up. I've grown up in the bluegrass world. I've grown up specifically in the California bluegrass world, which is really at the forefront of a lot of sort of diversity initiatives. And, and there's a lot of really important discussions going on about like racial uh, and, and uh, gender and all kinds of, of diversity and, and inclusion movements in the music um, and also in like 
the history of, of contra dance and square dance, and that's, you know, really screwed up in a lot of ways. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, it's I, a it's a conversation that we've been having for a really long time in the bluegrass world, and I'm excited to bring that to a, a community that has not really, that doesn't know a lot about bluegrass. So we can just come and be like, "This is who we are. We're not a bunch of old white dudes playing bluegrass. We can just present it as who we are." Definitely, with the name, I think we got a few stares. Oh yeah, yeah. there were a lot of people at Tumbleweed <laughs> that said, "Oh, when they said they they came up to us and they said, oh, when I saw the name Big Joe, I did not think it was going to be you know four teenagers." only one of whom is a guy. <laughs> I thought it was going to be one old dude. There is one particular organization that Tessa talks to me about on our way out of the studio. Okay, okay, okay. okay. We're in session. Okay. So in 2017 or 2018, the California Bluegrass Association started this uh, project that later became its own organization called Bluegrass Pride, um, which works to, you know... In increased diversity and opportunities for queer uh, musicians, musicians of color, um, everybody who's been sort of excluded from bluegrass, which is a lot of people. Um, and I was their youth ambassador for a couple of years. I've done a lot of work with them. They're a really great organization. So check them out. They got they got Instagram and such. Bluegrass Pride. of your time together like a moment you met remember particularly that you're like yep we're really like in tune doing this together having a lot of fun i think for me the from tumbleweed the night the set we played at night like that one was probably one of the best we've ever done and i think it was just like the crowd because it was like we played last out of the set so um there were a lot of people who had gone before us who were playing kind of lower energy things. It was usually like one person with a guitar. And so the, the energy was like very sleepy and tired. And you know, we were, we had to wait for a while. So we were like, I, I personally felt like a lot of energy. What we euphemistically call higher energy music. I was really ready to go on and play. Um, and just like when we got up there, like after the first song, just like seeing everybody kind of like light up and stuff. I have a very fond memory of playing like late in the evening last fall. We were outside at like a bench just jamming. I think this is one of the first times that we had met together to play. It was so much fun. And then the sprinklers came on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, and we all had to run inside. But I remember feeling so excited to be able to join you guys again and have more fun playing. The specific answer is um, we did a jam. We almost had to cancel the jam because my grandma passed away, who I'm really, really close to. Um, and I was going to fly home for her funeral, and it was like a whole thing. We ended up, like, I flew home a day later, and we did the jam. And um, my grandma was a really, like, she was kind of, she, was, she didn't play or anything, but she was, like, a big reason that we played a lot of music at every family gathering she was like get the instruments out we're gonna have a little jam and she would just listen to it and so she she is very tied to like my um musical identity and we at the end of the jam uh we played this song here today which is a really really it goes we're here today and then we're gone this life will end just like a song we only have this little time so come and let our voices twine and i had like we had like 30 or 40 people all singing that together and Gwen and I were, were, were playing and it was so, I mean, I was crying. It was really, really emotional. Me too. The fun <laughs> answer that doesn't involve my grandma dying. Um, every time before we get on stage, uh, I give these guys a little pep talk and I say, 
I just say like pep talk, you know, let's huddle. I don't know what people usually say in band pep talks, but mine are always just like, I love you so much. I'm so grateful to play with you. You all are amazing. I love Big Joe. I love Bluegrass. I love you so much um, because I truly am just so, so, I mean, I knew I was going to find people to play with. I knew that it's, as I, as I tell all my bluegrass friends, it's not that hard to find somebody who plays a little bit of dorm guitar. It's not that hard to steal a bass player from the orchestra. Um, but to find three people who are not just like interested in playing a little bit, but like down to practice, down to gig, down to jam, down to play a contra dance for two hours, like that's really rare. So it, I just feel so incredibly grateful to play music with you guys every single time I play with you. I'm like, wow, you're so special to me. And was this a feeling like right off the bat or did it take some settling into? What was that process like? It was kind of right off the bat. I mean, Gwen and I learned this song, East Virginia Blues, um, that I had been wanting to play for a really long time. I, I'd been listening to it for years and years. It has this really interesting sort of harmony part that intertwines with itself. Um, and I was like, I want to find someone who I can sing it with, who has like sort of a similar voice to me. I met Gwen, I taught it to her, we sang it together, and I was like, Joe has a lot in store for the coming months. If you want to hear them perform in real life, they will be playing at the Waynesburg Fall Festival on September 17th, at the Outhouse Unplugged Show on September 30th, and during Family Weekend in late October, in addition to playing for the Contra Dances every month. And there is even more. Um, next semester, I'm trying to record an album with you guys. Yeah. For sure. Just to immortalize this beautiful thing we have. That's amazing. So many big plans. That's so exciting. <laughs> big plans for big plans. Thanks for listening. The podcast is a product of the Whitman Wire newspaper, publishing Whitman News since 1896. Okay, bye-bye now. We'll see you next time.